Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. In today's podcast and next week, I am excited that I will be joined by Glenn Lord, and I want to start out by introducing him. Glenn was on the fast track to accomplishing his goal of being a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. The death of his son Noah in 1999 put brakes on the life he had so carefully planned. As Glenn sought a new path, he realized that there was a need for genuine, accurate grief information. This realization, plus his extensive business experience, fueled the founding of the Grief Toolbox and the creation of the Walking Through Grief program. Both of them offer a community of grief resources around the world and a marketplace of grief and memorial products. Glenn is past president of the National Board of Directors of the Compassionate Friends. He is a sought-after keynote speaker, inspirational presenter, and a workshop leader. Hi, Glenn. Welcome to our podcast. I'm really happy and excited to have you joining me here. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura. I'm excited too. Yeah. Now you and I, we have corresponded a little bit and we finally got to meet face to face. We were both in St. Louis at the Bereaved Parents USA National Gathering and we finally got to meet each other. Yes, we did. That was a beautiful event. Just so much love. I really love the BP events. Yeah, it was a really good year. That's the third year I've been there. Every year it just seems like it gets better. I would like to start out, Glenn, by giving you a chance to share your story and to share Noah with us. Okay. Well, um, Noah was my firstborn son. He was born in 1995, and uh, he lived for four and a half years. He was really a wonderful, a wonderful, inquisitive boy who uh, would want to know a little bit about everything, and he would ask you why, not just in the way that... Um, the kids ask why, but really in that way that he wanted to know and understand. And he would take track of what it was you said. And he would, um, if you contradicted yourself, he'd want to know why and how and all that came together. Then at four and a half, he had um, his tonsils and his adenoids out. And uh, from complications of that surgery, he died at four and a half. And that would be in 1999, about 20 years ago in June 14th would have been 20 years ago. And that was, um, that was when my my son died, and um, you know I've had other events, death events that have occurred too. In terms of my sister died from metastatic breast cancer, as well as um, both of my parents are also dead at this point in time too. So I've experienced a few losses. That's for sure. You and I have had similar thoughts that even though we found ourselves in darkness, it's like a darkness that I didn't even know existed when Becca died, but. You and I, from things that I've heard from you and reading from you, we both believed that there was still hope somewhere. Like, I, I knew that I had the seed of hope living in me, and I knew that Becca's death wasn't where God reached his limits. And you kind of had the same thing, right? That there had to be hope somewhere. There was hope. Yes. I mean, even from the moment that Noah died, um, you know, I had no clue what it meant. But even from the very moment he died... I had a comfort that God was with me. So I, I felt that that sense and that there was hope 
um, it took a long time to find what that hope was and a long time to make that hope be something that I believed existed to actually making it something that really did exist. But yeah, from the very beginning, I did understand that there was some hope that was going to be found. What it was, what it looked like, and how I was going to get there, I didn't really have a lot of clue in the beginning. Yeah, that's the same with me. It's like I knew there had to be hope somewhere. I didn't know how, yeah, how I was going to get there, how I was going to get out of the darkness. But there, there was hope somewhere, had to be. I, I think all of us describe, we feel like we died. A part of us died when our child died. And it's like I felt like I that contradiction of our thoughts of I knew I had like other children to live for my husband I had a ministry a different ministry at that time I had things to live for but I didn't want to live <laughs> and it was just like feeling like just being in a shell waiting to die and, and join Becca and yet I didn't want to live the whole rest of my life that way feeling like I was just living in a shell waiting to die but there was a period of time when I embraced apathy that um you know, it, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to die, but I didn't care if I did. Yes. Um, and it, it wasn't, it just, not, nothing mattered. There was nothing, you know, my existence happened because it happened, not because I consciously did anything to or proactively lived it or had any, um, you know, purpose behind anything. And so with that, yeah, it was, it was quite a while, that emptiness, that feeling that uh, something died and something did die. At the same time, something was born but it took a long time to realize that that occurred too. Mm -hmm. We are forever changed, aren't we? Forever, forever. And, and it doesn't have to be for the negative. No, it doesn't, but it is, I mean, it's, it's you know, it is, um, there is a forever change and there is a forever hole. There's a forever heart in our, in our, in our, that we'll ever have a hole in our heart. I mean, you have a Becca shaped hole that will always be and exist in your life and your heart can get stronger. It may actually be stronger than before, uh, before she died. Um, but it will all that hole will still always be there and there will be things that will trigger that hole to open up at times so um, just like I have a, a Noah shaped hole and, it, and it's there um, yes but I do think it can be your heart can get stronger and, and you can have a lot of uh, a lot of life after after but that hole will always be there yeah when you say that your heart can get stronger it reminds me of something I went to one of your workshops at this BPUSA gathering something that I wrote down that you said is our hearts are broken they are broken open or they are broken closed do you remember saying that I do I do there can you are explain hearts what, are you mean, what you meant by that yeah yeah hearts are broken open or they're broken closed we don't have a choice in that we didn't get a choice um you know, we didn't decide to have the uh, uh, the death in our lives, and so our hearts are broken. But there's a difference in um, what happens when your heart breaks. If if you can break it and you can rebuild it back in a positive sense, it's still broken, and that hole is still in your heart. But it can become a more beautiful thing. Um, I, I there's a form of Japanese uh, pottery that I honestly can't remember the name of it right now that has they put gold in where the pottery breaks and they rebuild the gold and then the pottery is worth a lot more after the fact than before after it's broken it's built and that's being broken open it's open to the new possibilities in your life open to the new directions that may come being closed is is being broken closed is when you shut down, when the, when the world, you, you may go into depression, withdraw, uh, you know, have low self-esteem. You, um, you may go into substance abuse. You, you may um, 
choose to turn from others in your life. You may become a workaholic. Um, you may you you avoid um, the willingness to find what other possibilities there are in your life, and that 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 broken is not a choice. But what we do with that broken is, and if we can be broken to open, then we can become more, and there is something to be had there. I love that. It seems like so many parents at the very beginning when they first lose their child. You know, I try to encourage them and tell them there is hope and you will get there and hang on, walk with those of us who are just further on than you. And I've had so many of them say, well, that might be true for you, but it's not going to happen to me. And that's okay. That's where they're at at that moment in time. And it's, it's okay to honor that because there's a time when I'm not sure I wouldn't have said that also. Um, you know, I still under, even though I knew underlying that the hope was there, there were moments when it was overwhelming and I, and I didn't see or feel that hope. Um, Gloria Horsley, who runs Open, um, Open to Hope, yes. has a wonderful tagline that I just think really applies in that situation. Mm -hmm. It says, um, you know, if you don't have hope, then lean on mine. And, it, and I think that that's part of what we can do for others in grief is not force them to see their own hope, but love them, walk beside them, and allow them to see our hope. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So, yep, we'll be the hope for you. If you're listening and you feel like you're not going to get to that place, you will. You will. And for some of us, it takes longer than others. And like Glenn said, that's okay. That's okay because we're all on our own journey. And that grief, that darkness, it just comes on you. I mean, at the beginning, you don't have a choice. It's just there. Well, I think even further on, you can you cannot have a choice. I mean, I know I shared this in the presentation with you, but I think it's applicable here. Um, you know, Noah was four and a half when he died. He didn't know a lot of people. A lot of people didn't know him, and pretty much anyone that did know him was family. That's who that's who knew him. But there was a little girl who he had gone to school with. Who, um, when she graduated high school, would have been he was he would have been eighteen. It was you know thirteen, fourteen years later. I can't remember exactly. Um, but the time, and she invited us to her graduation, uh, not necessarily because of who we were, but because of who Noah was. And that was years later, and it knocked me right, right, right back to that moment when everything was the beginning. The difference is, is you, you, you understand that you're not going to always be there. You understand that even though I was probably in a funk for a week or two around that, and it, and it hit, you know, more than a decade later, it still hit. But it was, um, it came at that moment and I knew it was a moment and I knew it was going to have that peace. So I do think that that's, that's what I mean by that hole is always there and there will be things that will touch it. And um, there'll be other things that will touch it. You know, this, um, this coming, um, in about three weeks, I'm going to be going to my brother-in-law is getting remarried and um, he's my, you know, was married to my sister. And, um, you know, I thought a lot about it and I'm, I'm glad to be going. I'm actually excited be going I know that it's what my sister would want um, but in many ways there'll be a, I you know I, I know that there'll be a, a whole touch there because it will not be uh, where um, you know that there will be pieces of that that will miss and there'll be holes that'll hit there too yeah there for the rest of our lives we have so many bittersweet events don't we we do we do we do and the more we can learn to um, to just acknowledge them accept them let them be what they are honor them for what they are I think one of the big keys to grief as, as you progress through it is giving your per permission to feel what you feel you know when you feel those moments if you don't fight it let yourself hurt for that moment honor that feeling let yourself feel it 
then um, you know you can also honor the highs. Um, you know, there's a, a if you if you're muting the joy, you're, you're muting the jo- muting the pain, then you're also muting the joy. And, um, and you know, in the beginning, that's hard because in the beginning, it's feeling it. And sometimes that just means you know not getting out of bed and honoring that that's where you are, and that's okay. That's okay. Allow yourself to feel what you feel and not what others believe you should feel, but what what is right for you. Yeah, and something that I have learned is that pain and peace can be in me at the same time. Absolutely. Yes, they can. They um the joy and the pain uh they they dance together and over time the Joy takes the lead, but it, it is a dance that goes back and forth for the rest of our lives. Yeah, and I think one thing that for, for me, you know, sometimes it's like, well, how is that even possible? And I see it as the pain is in our soul and the peace is in our spirit. And so while our spirit can be at peace and be at rest, our soul can be feeling the pain of the loss. And so we can have those in us at the same time. Interesting. I never thought about that. I'm not, I I don't, help me understand more the difference between what you say when you say spirit and when you say soul, what what are the differences there? Well, um, I, I believe that we are a spirit and we have a soul and we live in a, a body that we're three part beings and our spirit is the part of us that lives on. When, when we leave our shell, when we leave our body, our spirit is what lives on. Our soul is the part of us. It's like our mind, our will, our emotions. That's our soul. And so to me, those are two separate things. Now, they can be very intertwined. And a lot of times it's hard to tell, is this my soul? Is this my spirit? But I, I feel like we're three-part beings. And or that's, that's my belief. And the soul is, is the emotional part of us. And the spirit is the eternal part of us. The spirit is our love, I guess, in that sense, I would say. And then then love is perfect. So love has nothing but joy in it. And it has nothing but that. And then the the other part, yeah, the emotions, they they can go all across the board. And they're imperfect in many ways. Yes. 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 I think I understand what you're saying. Yep. Yep. That's a good way of looking at it, too. Yes. One of the things that I realized, and it took me a while to realize this, the best things I could do was to connect with other bereaved parents. I think it's so easy to isolate ourselves. And for me, I knew I was such a mess. And if I connected with a group of people, now I didn't have anyone in the area, but like I started seeing there were conferences and places I could go to meet up with grieving parents. And my thought was going there I didn't want to be around a bunch of people who were a mess like me. I thought it would be morbid and I would leave feeling worse than when I went. And the first time I went to something that was a group of grieving moms, I found out how wonderful it was to be around a bunch of people who were a mess like me. (laughs) It actually was the opposite. So I'm just wondering what words of encouragement you can give or any thoughts or stories or examples you have maybe in your own of being with other parents who are walking this road together. Well, I think bereaved parents specifically are some of the most honest people in the world because you've cut through all of those things in life that just don't matter. All of the 
small talk and the unimportant things because you, you, you really come to the core of what is important when your child dies. And you very quickly, when you're around other bereaved parents, you very quickly go right to that core of what is important. Um, does that mean you don't cry together? You absolutely will cry together. Does that not mean that there won't be times when the, the, the group can be in just an immense pain? It will. But the thing is that there's an understanding there. There's a concept that it's okay to both be in pain in one moment, in a pain that the rest of the world would have a hard time comprehending, and then the next, the entire group can be laughing and joking and just having fun and having pure joy because neither one's being muted. You're allowed to feel both those pains and the realities. And it's also, you know, one of the, one of the things in grief, I think, that happens so often to people is because we don't get any training in it, we don't learn how to grieve in this country. No one really teaches us. Yes, there's some examples on television and popular culture is improving, but as a whole, we don't, we don't learn it. So we start to have these feelings and we say, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? I must be, something's crazy, I'm, I'm not, I'm broken. And no, you're just grieving. And so is the person right beside you. And when you say these things that you're afraid to tell the world that you're thinking or feeling, when you say, you know, I don't care if I wake up tomorrow morning. I really don't. If God takes me tonight and I don't wake up tomorrow morning, I'm happier than if I wake up tomorrow morning. You're afraid to say that to the world and the person beside you looks in, and in that nodding glow looks at you. Yes, I absolutely understand. I've been there. I felt that before. And so I think it just is that freedom to be because as human beings, we naturally, we need other people in our lives. It's part of being alive. And to be around people that you you can have that understanding and, and pieces, you know, it doesn't mean we're all the same. There are some bereaved parents that have their own idiosyncrasies, but it's not because they're bereaved. It's just because people are people and some people are strange. But we all get along in, in, a, in a core level of that understanding of who we are as, as bereaved people. Yeah, at the BPUSA event, we did have a jam session night, <laughs> and there was a small group of us, and Paul convinced me to bring my guitar and join in this jam session, and I don't normally jam with my guitar, but he had brought me a bunch of songs with the chords, and it's like, okay, I'll give it a shot, and I totally enjoyed that evening, and the thing was, I, at one point, I may tear up and cry here a little bit, but at one point, I looked around at everybody in that room, and I thought, these are my peeps. These are my people. We're just a bunch of broken, shattered parents doing life together. Perfectly broken, though. Absolutely perfectly broken. And that love that is with us all. I mean, one of the most powerful events, you know, to me, one of the most powerful moments of love I've ever felt in my entire life was actually at this, uh, at the BP conference. In that candle lighting, there was, you know, from an outsider's perspective, someone may have seen a room full of depression a room full of loss, a room full of missing. And I don't want to say all of those things weren't there because they were. Mm -hmm. But with them, what was underlying them, what was driving all of that was the love. And to be around 300 people who were so openly expressing their love and just really all aspects of what that means, whether it was the tears or the joy, 
there's a powerful feeling around that. And when you even a small group of bereaved parents, you can feel that love because that's really what it's built around because we're sharing that love that's built into the, the pain of losing, you know, grief. We only grieve what we, what we love. You can't, if you didn't love something, you don't grieve, you don't, there's no grief associated with it. You know, if you, if you lost something, left something at the table this morning that you could care less about, maybe it crosses your mind for a moment, but you know, you, it doesn't matter. Or if you read in the paper that someone who you don't know died, it might trigger you on some level, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect you on your inner soul. And yet it does when, it, when it's someone that this is love is there, and that's why it's all there. And that love is what I think makes us all connect. I want to say amen. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. I think that is a really good place to end it for this week. Glenn and I are actually going to keep talking. And what we're going to share, I'm going to air in next week's podcast. And what we're going to be talking about is Glenn did a workshop that I went to, and it was titled Finding Your Direction Again. And so I want Glenn to walk us through some of that because Glenn and I I, there's another thing that we have in common is that we don't just want to help you come to a greater level of healing in your life and finding hope and light, but we want you to go beyond that and we want you to thrive and we want you to find purpose and meaning in your life again, not in spite of your child's death, but because of his or her life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Glenn, thank you so much. This was this time went by really fast. It was great talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And we'll end this for now, and we'll be back next week. And now it's time for our birthday segment. Each week I get the honor of sharing our children's birthdays, the ones that are having a birthday in the coming week that have been sent to me. This week we have two. First we have Kevin Stoneburner who was born on September 1st and Kevin is forever 27. And then we have Raylan Huffman who was born on September 2nd and is forever 22. So Kevin and Raylan we celebrate the day you came into the world with your families and we are so thankful that we will be seeing you again and I know your families are looking forward to that day. If you would like to have your child added to the birthday segment of the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. And there will be a, just a little form for you to fill out, send it in, and I will put your child on the list and share your son or daughter with our listeners. There will also be a link to that in the show notes. If you would like to know how to contact Glenn or to check out the Grief Toolbox, there will be links to that in the show notes as well. And I would like to ask you for a favor. A lot of you have been sending me emails, letting me know how helpful this podcast has been to you. You've been sharing specific things that have been said that have brought a measure of healing or a, a level of freedom, and I really do appreciate hearing from you. I love reading your emails. What I want to ask is, 
If you are listening to this podcast on something like iTunes or Stitcher, not on our website, but on a a different platform where there are podcasts, I would like to ask you to please give us a rating and write a review, because the more of these we have, the more our podcast is put in front of those who are looking for help as bereaved parents. It's called an algorithm. And when a podcast has a lot of reviews and a lot of good ratings, uh, people are reacting to it, then the algorithm moves it up in the lineup for people who are looking for something like this. So it would be really helpful if you guys would go and, and do this for us. It's like paying it forward because you're helping other bereaved parents find this podcast and receive the same encouragement that you're receiving. Plus, when a parent looks at the podcast and they see what other parents have written about it, then they're going to listen to it and give it a shot, right? They're going to want to listen to an episode because all these other parents have said how much they appreciate it and how helpful it's been. So if you would please do that for me, I would really, really appreciate it. And I know there are a lot of other parents that would appreciate it because it will help them find us. So with that, I want to remind you once again to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.